Welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Patty. And I'm Trisha. This week we join the Doctor, Romana and K9 as they find themselves first caught in a rift in space and then caught in a strange mist. As usual, we'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains and give your thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your, your thoughts on this story. So in order to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. But I suppose, first and foremost, I shall, as always, do the story recap. Right. Part 1. The Doctor and Romana have just finished returning their human passenger back to his home after the events on the planet Tigella. The Doctor says it is time for them to go to Gallifrey, and expresses enthusiasm at the prospect as he says it will give him a chance to check in on Leela and Andrit, as well as introduce K9 to his other version. However, the Doctor notices that Romana has left the console room, and he goes in search of her, finding her in her own room. She tells him that she doesn't want to go back to Gallifrey, as she knows that she will be ordered to return to the Citadel. The Doctor says that they can't avoid the Time Lords, remembering the events that led to his forced regeneration and his exile to Earth. Suddenly, the entire TARDIS starts to shimmer, and the Doctor and Romana rush back to the console room. K9 reports that he momentarily lost control of the TARDIS, but he cannot determine why, nor interpret the data he gathered when scanning the phenomenon. Romana says that they have materialised, and when they use the external view screen, they see a vast highland-like valley. The doctor says that they have arrived in the outer wilds of Gallifrey, and says that they better make their way to the Citadel. However, after he steps outside, he says that they are not on Gallifrey. They go back inside and check the coordinates, which indicate that they should be on Gallifrey. Doctor says they need to find out what's wrong with the TARDIS, and he begins to check the power console, which immediately starts sparking. Elsewhere, at a riverside village, the inhabitants go about their daily life. Two of the locals see a quartet of youths raid one of their food stockpiles and give chase. They lose track of them and make their way back to the village, satisfied that they have stopped them from taking any food. After the locals leave, two of the youths, Varsh and Tylos, and another one, a girl named Kira, emerge from their hiding spot and lament the failure of their raid. Kira draws their attention to the village, which they are overlooking, and they see that two men are walking amongst the locals, whom they recognise as Drait and Dexeter. They watch as the two men inspect the fruit that the locals have been gathering. Dexeter says that the fruit seems to be infested with insect eggs, and he says that this is a suspected forewarning of an approaching event. He asks Drait in his capacity as a decider to check their knowledge repository, which he calls the system files. However, Drake says that he is forbidden to discuss the files with anyone, a fact that seems to cause him great pain. The youths, who have been labelled outlers, return to their hideout where they are joined by a boy named Adric, who says that he wants to join them. However, they refuse, saying that he belongs on the Starliner where the rest of their people have taken refuge whilst they await for, to leave the planet that they are on, which is called Alzarius. Adric says that he isn't meant to be on the ship, nor is he meant to stay on Alzarius, telling the others that it is based on a strange feeling that he can't explain. Varsh, who is Adric's older brother, says that no one from the elite class is allowed to join them, but Adric continues to plead his case. He fights off Kira, who attempts to strip him of a star medal he received for mathematical excellence, and he says that they are not competent as they believe themselves to be, pointing out their failed raid. Tylos then tells him to try it, and if he is successful, they will allow him to join them. A short while later, they go to the Overlook and observe Adric as he swims to the shore and makes his way towards the contaminated fuel pile. A few moments after he gets out of the water, it begins to bubble and emit steam, drawing the attention of the villagers 
who rush to another pair of swimmers at the shoreline as they struggle in the boiling water. Drayton and Dexter arrive and declare that a misfall is approaching before telling some of the villagers to try and rescue the swimmers. Once they rescue the swimmers, Drayton gathers all the villagers and confirms his declaration of mistfall and orders them to follow the procedure. Once all the villagers leave, Drayton spots Adric and gives chase after him despite Dexter's protests. Adric ends up getting stuck in a bog and Drayton attempts to pull him free, saying that they need to get to the Starliner, but Adric fights him off and accidentally causes him to fall down into the bog where he hits his head and is rendered unconscious. Adric tries to help him, but something pulls him into the bog. Drake wakes up just before he goes under and he tells Adric to tell Dexeter that they have come full circle. At the Starliner, the remaining deciders, Gareth and Nefred, oversee the arrival of the villagers and they overhear Logan, one of the village leaders, asking if any of the outlers have been spotted, specifically Kira, who is his daughter. They tell him that the outlers chose to leave the village, and even if they were willing to come back, there would be not enough time to find them before they would have to seal off the Starliner. Realising that Drake would also be locked out, the two deciders discuss the possibility of making Logan a decider in his place. Just as the doors begin to seal, two of the outlers arrive, but there's no sign of the others who decide to stay in their hideout due to thinking that the misfall is a myth made up by the deciders to control the villagers. Once the doors seal, Gareth and Nefer tell Logan that due to the indeterminate amount of time that they would have to remain in the Starliner, all efforts should be put to working on getting the Starliner off the planet. He agrees and is then taken aback when they say they want to talk to him about choosing a new decider to replace Drake. Meanwhile, Adric, who has gotten lost when fleeing from the bog, discovers the TARDIS and bangs on the door until Romana lets him in. He collapses and is then taken to the sick bay, where he says he needs to warn everyone about the mistfall. The doctor says that he wants to go investigate the bog, but Romana says that they still have to figure out what happened to the TARDIS. The doctor reveals that he has already figured out what happened. He tells Romana that the navigation system only reads positive coordinates, and Romana says that she knows saying that real space doesn't have negative coordinates. She then realises what he is inferring and says the shimmering effect was them transitioning from real space to negative space. The Doctor then heads to the bog with K9. Adric, who seems to be completely at ease in his new unusual surroundings, says that he needs to get back to the village to warn everyone and Romana gives him a homing beacon so that he can get back to the TARDIS. She asks him about his injured knee, which they bandage up and he says it is completely healed, smiling as he removes the bandage to prove his claim to a disbelieving Romana. At the bug, K9 reports that the fog coming from it is non-toxic. He then alerts the doctor to the presence of a group of bipedal reptilian figures that have begun to emerge from the bog. Part 2. The reptilian figures stop once they reach the edge of the bog, and the doctor says that they should go back to the TARDIS, with K9 advising that they do so very carefully. They come to a stop when they hear the reptilians approaching, and the doctor says that they seem to be acclimatising to the atmosphere. He then orders K9 to t- track their movements whilst he goes back to the TARDIS. En route, he sees a smaller one of the figures, which flees f- from him when he gr- tries to greet it. Meanwhile, Adric makes his way back to the outer hideout, and once there, tells him what happened to Drake. He also tells him of the TARDIS, showing them the homing beacon. Kira comes back and says that the Starliner has been sealed off. Rash says that they can go to the TARDIS, but Adric says it is too small for all of them. However, this contradicts his earlier description of it, and when he tries to say he can't remember where it is, Tylos shows him the homing beacon. They make their way back to the TARDIS, and Adric watches helplessly as the others hold Romana at knife point and say that they are taking control of the ship. 
Tylus holds his knife on her while Vars asks where the doctor is. She says that he is on his way back to the TARDIS and Tylus starts to hurt her, causing Adric to intervene. The knife falls to the floor and Romana picks it up and points it at a scared Tylus before handing it back to him. She asks them what they want and when Varsh mentions the misfall she grows concerned for the doctor and makes her way to the door. However, the console room suddenly lurches sideways and knocks them all to the floor. Meanwhile, on the Starliner, Nefret leaves the system files visibly shaken and he is met by a concerned Gareth. Knowing that he can't speak about what he saw, Gareth turns the conversation back to having Logan join them as a decider. Logan then joins them and says that he has accepted their offer. They test him by asking about Kira, and he says that she was a disruptive element and his main concern now was the welfare of their people and the preparations for the Starliner to leave the planet. Meanwhile, the Doctor returns to the TARDIS but finds it missing. With no other choice, he makes his way to the Starliner, unaware that he's being followed by the small reptilian. At the Starliner, the Doctor locks the gate entrance, but when no one answers, he uses his sonic screwdriver to force the door open. He goes inside and sees a piece of river fruit on a nearby table. He starts to cut into it with a nearby knife, but then decides to see if anyone is around. When he goes back, he discovers that the knife is gone, taken by one of the reptilians. Suddenly, a message comes over the PA system, which is then addressed by Nefred to the entire ship. He listens as Nefred talks about the origins of the Starliner and how it crash-landed on Alzarius generations ago. He talks about how the Starliner has protected them during previous misfalls and will continue to do so until they are ready to leave. Meanwhile, the TARDIS finally comes to a rest and Tylos says that he is going to try and get back to the Starliner, saying that he doesn't trust Romana. The others say that it is too dangerous due to the misfall. Romana asks Adric if their people have any equipment that could lift the TARDIS, but he says that they don't. Kyrdan says that during misfall, giants called Marshmen are said to emerge from the bog and they could have been the ones to move it. Romana checks the external view screen but sees that it is still showing images of Gallifrey. Romana says that they will need to try and invert the image using a localized image translator to account for their presence in negative space, but Adric suggests that they just look outside normally. Romana does so and sees that they are in a cave full of club-wielding marshmen, which are actually the reptilian figures from the bog. Back on the Starliner, the Doctor makes his way through the corridors, being careful to avoid the crew. He takes cover when he sees a maintenance crew go by, but when he goes to leave, he spots the knife from earlier on the floor. He picks it up and moves, again seemingly unaware that he is being followed by the young Marshman. The Marshman eventually gets distracted by a piece of machinery in one of the walls and is found by the maintenance crew. The young creature starts to panic and cries out as it finds all its escape routes blocked off. The Doctor is drawn to the commotion and tells everyone to calm down as he points out that the now whimpering Marshman is terrified. He tells that everything will be fine but he is clubbed in the head by one of the maintenance crew who then captures the Marshman. It is then wrapped in a net and taken to the deciders who tell them to take it to Dexeter. The doctor tells him to leave it alone and he goes to console it. Back at the TARDIS, Romana hears K9 arrive and goes outside to retrieve him. However, as he attempts to tell the marshman he means them no harm, one of them picks up a club and knocks his head off. Romana retreats back inside. Romana says that the marshmen are showing signs of intelligent behaviour and Kira asks why the TARDIS was brought to their old hideout. Romana asks if there is anything special about their hideout, and Varsh says that it overlooks the Starliner. But Adric and Romana realise that the Marshman intend to use the TARDIS's dense structure as an improvised battering ram by rolling it down the hill into the Starliner. Back on the Starliner, the three deciders ask the Doctor about the fate of Drake. He tells them what Adric said about being dragged into the bog and then going to investigate. 
Logan says that it is impossible, as the mist is meant to be toxic. However, Neifert says that the system file backs up the doctor's statement, but that for the good of all their people, it was better than for to believe that the mist is fatal. Logan starts to talk about going to retrieve Kira when they are interrupted by the arrival of Dexeter, who says that his examination of the Marshman has proved fruitless. However, the doctor says that it is a matter of opinion and offers to take a look at it. Back at the TARDIS, Romana makes preparations to take off, but Kira says that the Marshmen are leaving the cave. They all go to investigate, and they are suddenly see large spiders emerging from the contaminated fruit. The others rush back inside the TARDIS, whilst Romana goes to take a closer look at them. Tylosh goes to the console and seals the door, but Adric tells him that they can't leave Romana outside. He then presses a switch on the console, which causes the TARDIS to dematerialise, leaving Romana stranded outside, where she tries to fend off the spiders. She then picks up a bit of fruit, but it bursts open and a spider leaps from it and bites her in the face, causing her to faint. Part 3. In Dexeter's Laboratory. <laughs> Thought I'd get you with that one, alright. You have to leave that in. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be the one editing it, so you're going to... Edit, you're going to... True. Yeah. But the point is, because I was on mute, it'll just be you with no laugh track from yeah. me. <laughs> so we'll just leave this part in as well. <laughs> Part 3. In Dexeter's laboratory, the doctor examines the anaesthetized marshman and Dexeter says that it has been running a psychoanalytic test on its brain to discover why the marshmen are so aggressive to his people. The doctor then spots fresh cuts on the marshman's body and Dexeter says that it is his responsibility to do these tests in order to serve his people. The doctor asks about all the work being done by the maintenance crews and Dexeter says that it is all being done to prepare the Starliner to leave the planet. The Doctor asks that if they are leaving, why are they so focused on the Marshman? Dexeter deflects the question by asking the Doctor to examine the tissue sample as he thinks the genetic anomalies on it are interesting. The Doctor points out that these anomalies are just a fact of life and says that they had better return the Marshman to the bog. Dexeter says that he can't leave as the doors are sealed, but the Doctor says that he can find a way out again. Just then, Logan arrives and asks to see how he got in and the Doctor agrees to show him. As they make their way down the corridors, the Doctor pays attention to the work done by the maintenance crews and he asks Logan why they seem to be removing perfectly functioning pieces of equipment. Logan says that they are following the directives of the system files, but the Doctor says that at the rate that they are going, it would be years before they can leave. Logan says that they are willing to wait generations to ensure everything is done perfectly. He then asks about the TARDIS, and when the Doctor asks why he wants to know, he mentions Kira. He asks the Doctor to help find Kira, and when he agrees, he leads him to the exit. Just before he opens the doors, the TARDIS rematerializes due to Romana having preset the coordinates on it. The Doctor calls out for Romana, and Kira emerges and rushes to her father. Tylos and Varsh come out and are apprehended by guards, but just before Adric comes out, the Doctor forces him back inside and asks about Romana. Adric tells him what happened, and the Doctor says that the short trips like the one they have just done don't usually work, so going back to Romana might be difficult. However, they successfully land back in the cave and find Romana sitting up. The doctor tells Adric to pick up K9 and one of the dead spiders before asking Romana if she's okay. She aloofly says that she is fine before asking the doctor who he is. Back in his lab, Dexeter informs Neifred and Gareth that he intends to conduct further experiments on the Marshman. Neifred, again seemingly troubled by the knowledge he received about the creatures from the system files, orders Dexeter to postpone his experiments until he has time to discuss the matter with Gareth. Dexeter says that his experiments could give further insight into what the system files say, but he agrees to wait for them to return. 
Later, Gareth and Logan return and say that the system files have expressly forbidden any investigation into the Marshman. However, they say that Nefford has granted Dexter to perform experimentation on the specimen that they have, but only under the supervision of the others. On the TARDIS, the Doctor examines the now unconscious Roman in her quarters and informs a concerned Adric that she is in some sort of coma due to whatever psychochemical was in the spider venom. He asks Adric about K9, but Adric says that his head was missing when he went to retrieve him. The Doctor then says that he wants to examine a dead spider he collected. Back on the Starliner, Nefford has the Outlers brought to the Hall of Records and he is joined by Gareth and Logan. As the Outlers prepare for the worst, the deciders say that they will be sent to join maintenance crews in order to help with the preparations for liftoff. After they are dismissed, Nefford turns on the view screen to Dexeter's lab where he has brought the Marshman out of his anaesthetic so that he can be fully cognizant of himself during the experiments. Before he starts, the Doctor and Adric, who landed back in the entranceway, burst in and the Doctor angrily demands that Dexeter stop, saying that what he is about to do is tantamount to murder. Dexeter ignores him and cuts into the Marshman's head, causing it to cry out in pain. On the TARDIS, this elicits a sympathetic response from Romana, whose face now has deep greenish-blue veins running through it. The Marshman breaks free of its restraints and kills Dexeter before going on a rampage through the lab. It then spots the Doctor on the view screen and reaches out to him, recognising him as a friend. However, the Doctor tells it to stay back as he knows how the creature will react when he realises that it is, he isn't actually there. Unfortunately, the Marshman doesn't understand and he destroys the screen, inadvertently electrocuting itself. The Doctor tells Adric to go back to the TARDIS and wait with Romana before turning to face the deciders. He berates them for sanctioning Dexter's experiments, and he labels their attempts to rationalise their actions as not more than excuses. He then asks Logan if they have told him the truth about the Starliner, and he reveals that the ship has been ready for centuries, but the others have been following the directive to keep their people occupied by removing and replacing the same pieces of equipment over and over again. He then tears open one of the nearby bookcases to reveal a bridge control panel behind it and says that the ship could leave in less than an hour in its current state. A shocked Logan turns on the others and demands to know the truth. They say that the records they have have taught them how to repair the ship, but the one that tells them to fly was removed centuries ago. Later, the Doctor goes to Dexeter's lab and starts to examine the spider's carcass whilst asking Logan about the mistfall. Logan says that it coincides with a solar eclipse that seems to happen every 50 years or so. The Doctor says that he has seen the cellular structure like the spiders before and then remembers where he saw it before asking where Dexeter and the Marshman's bodies are. Suddenly, Adric bursts in and says that Romana is missing. The Doctor returns to the TARDIS and finds her room completely ransacked, but Adric says that the Marshman must have done it. Doctor spots a trail of fabrics leading out of the room and he tells Adric to follow him. Down in the bowels of the ship, Romana wakes her way towards an emergency hatchway. She opens it and dozens of club-wheeling marshmen enter the Starliner. Part 4. Romana opens more emergency hatches, allowing more and more marshmen into it as an alarm goes off throughout the Starliner. The marshmen make their way through the ship and eventually come across Varsh and his maintenance crew. Varsh throws his bag of parts at them, distracting them, and he tells everyone to run. However, Tylos saves their crew leader from one of the marshmen, but he is caught and strangled by it before he can get away. Meanwhile, in the corridors, the Doctor gets lost in the Warren-like infrastructure of the Starliner and says that they have come full circle. Adric comments that those were Drake's last words for Dexeter. The Doctor asks about Adric's knee and he shows off the fully healed wound, 
prompting the doctor to say that his hypothesis is settled. He says that they are going back to the lab, but they run into Varsh and Kira, who tell them about the Marshman attack. Varsh says that they need to get back for Tylos, but the doctor orders them to take refuge in the lab. He makes his way to the TARDIS and finds Tylos' body outside it. Suddenly, a Marshman appears, wielding a club that has K9's head on it. The doctor snatches the head and aims it at the Marshman, holding it at bay. More and more Marshmen appear, but they all stay back out of fear of K9's head. The doctor turns to leave, but he is confronted by Romana, who animalistically lashes out at his face. The doctor tries to reason with her, saying that she is infected, and manages to convince her to stay near the TARDIS, which she starts to defend from the curious Marshman. In Dexter's lab, Varsh says that they should be out there helping, and Adric thinks on this whilst he examines a small device attached to a microarray. He says that they should follow the doctor's instructions, but Varsh tells him to follow him as he leaves the lab. In the Hall of Records, Logan and Garth wonder if the doctor has betrayed them due to his advocacy for the Marshman, but Neifert says that he doesn't feel the doctor would endanger them like this. They ask him what to do, but he says that they are all deciders and they must work together on the solution. They summon their aides and begin looking through the various schematics as Logan says that they should try to figure out how to establish a defensive perimeter within the Starliner. Nefford, supported by Gareth, say that their records indicate that whatever they do, the Marshman will adapt their strategy accordingly, saying that the records have indicated that they possess a greater intellect than anyone first thought. Just then, a group of Marshmen break into the hall, and Logan tells everyone to flee. The Marshman rampage through the hall, but always seem to attack those that get in their way. One of them is Nefred, who is then helped away by Gareth and Logan. In the corridors, the Doctor runs into Adric and the others and informs them of Tylos' fate. He then brings them back to the lab, and once there, Adric gives him the device that he took from the microarray, and the Doctor says that it is an image translator, the thing that he was required for the TARDIS. He says that with it, he can prove his theory that the TARDIS entered E-Space, a pocket universe outside of the real space universe. He then goes back to his work and examines tissue samples from the Spider, the Marshman, and Dexeter. He also has Kira start to prepare a serum to help cure Romana. However, as he works, Marshman attempt to break into the lab, but are held at bay by a barricade set up by Varsh. In the bowels of the ship, a weakened Nefford tells Gareth and Logan to find the Doctor to tell them how to fly the Starliner off the planet. Logan says that they can finally return to their homeworld, but Nefford says that their homeworld doesn't exist. He then dies, and Logan says they need to follow his instructions and find the Doctor. Back in the lab, Kira finishes the serum just as the Marshmen break in and the Doctor grabs an oxygen canister and tells everyone to avoid touching the Marshmen. He then sprays the oxygen at the Marshmen, which causes them to panic as he explains that the Marshmen cannot function properly in oxygen-rich environments. Adric and Varsh take off more canisters and drive the Marshmen back into the corridors. Suddenly, Romana bursts in through a side panel and advances on the Doctor. Adric sprays her with oxygen, causing her to fall unconscious, and he then goes to join Varsh in pushing the Marshman back. They encounter Logan and the others, who then ask where the Doctor is, and Adric says he will take them back to him. However, his canister starts to run low, and Varsh says that he will cover the rear and orders Adric to go back with the others. In the lab, the Doctor gives the serum to Romana before going back to his samples, and he explains to a curious Kira that he is trying to gauge an evolutionary time frame. Just then, Romana wakes up, fully healed, and offers to help the Doctor with his investigations. She looks at the samples as well, and tells the Doctor that the Starliner has been on Alzarius much longer than they have been led to believe. A confused Kira asks what they mean, and they explain that the spiders, Marshmen, and her people 
are all on the same evolutionary tract. Just then, Adric bursts in and takes a fresh canister as he explains about Varsh's predicament. Adric gets back to the junction just as Varsh begins to seal the doors, but he watches in horror as a marshman reaches under the closing doors and pulls him to the other side. Adric hurriedly opens the doors, but it is too late as he sees that Varsh has been killed. The doctor tells Logan to flood the Starliner with oxygen, which drives the marshman back to the emergency hatches they first came through. The doctor is followed by Logan and Garf, who marvel at the marshman as they manage to reopen the sealed hatchways and escape. Garf says that they seem to be adapting fast to the oxygen and becomes worried that the Starliner will be at a greater risk for them for the next time they attack. The doctor tells him not to worry, as he says that they will learn to repair any damage they do to the ship. Garth is confused by this, and the doctor explains that the Marshmen are the ancestors of the inhabitants of the Starliner. Logan then realizes that what Nefford was telling them was that Alzaris is their actual homeworld. The doctor says that the Marshmen will eventually figure out how to get in, and Logan, fearing for the safety of his people, asks for his help in getting them off the planet. Romana supports this, saying that generations of evolution could be wiped out. The doctor agrees and brings them to the Hall of Records and shows them how to operate the bridge console. Once he finishes showing them, he and Romana head back to the TARDIS, leaving Gareth and Logan to decide what course of action to take. Inside the TARDIS, Romana finishes preparing K9 and then notices the image translator on the console, which was left as a gift by Adric. They insert it into the console and using the external view screen, they confirm their presence in eSpace. The doctor says that they must have come to a charged vacuum appointment, an extremely rare space-time event. They then watch as the Starliner takes off, as they ponder their potential exile in eSpace, unless they come across another CVE. End of the story. Very good, very good. Thank you. Cool. So, while we also remain in exile with our TARDIS crew, we're going to take a quick stop at the trivia spot. So, what do you got for us this week, Trish? Cool. So, the air date for Full Circle is the 27th of September to the 18th of October 1980. The writer for the story is Andrew Smith, who also wrote the novelization, which we always like to see. Mm -hmm. Andrew Smith was 17 years old. When he achieved his lifelong ambition of writing for the show, which is crazy. Um, he did submit other scripts to the production office, none of which were made. Um, and he did go on to become a police officer eventually. Apparently, when he did submit his work previously to other script editors, they replied with positive criticism. For finally, this script, which he sent in as The Planet That Slept, was accepted and became full circle. Apparently, he did visit the location shoot on the first day, but he wasn't well at the time, and he vomited on the Marshman costumes, <laughs> which is just sad. Yeah. He was later approached by Big Finish, and he displayed interest in writing for them. Um, because he had started the eSpace trilogy with Full Circle, they asked him to write a companion chronicle story set in eSpace, which was released in 2010. The writer of the story is Peter Grimwade. This is the first of four directing credits for Peter. We'll see his work again in Logopolis. I'm reading that as kinda. I think it's kinda. I don't know it's meant to be kinda. I think it's kinda. <laughs> yeah. And Earthshock. Um, Peter was previously a production assistant on Doctor Who and he would actually go on to write 
three stories and their novelizations. And those are Time Flight, Mordred Undead, and Planet of Fire. Mm. Peter passed away in 1990. As I mentioned, the work- working title for the story is The Planet That Slept. Adric's name was suggested by script editor Christopher Bidmead as an anagram of the last name of the eminent physicist Paul Dirac, who in 1930 was the first to predict the existence of antimatter. That's cool. So we did further. Yeah. A power struggle amongst the outlers between Vash and Tylos was eliminated from the script, while the Marsh Child character was introduced, replacing who was originally meant to be a Marsh woman. So the, you called it like the Marshman the whole way, but actually mm-hmm. they refer to the um, the Marshman on the ship who gets captured with the Doctor is actually a child. It's a Marsh child. Yeah, I, I think I kept saying like the young Marshman because mm. the, the, while you could perceive uh, visually kind of like maybe hints of gender, there is no real, they're all kind of androgynous in their Marshman. Yeah, form. I think originally they were meant to be a bit more definitive um but this one is very clearly meant to be a child Mm. Um, i have to say really quickly though great job on the costumes really 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 good i agree i agree um dexter was originally named lexeter um (laughs) but this was changed to avoid confusion with lexa in the story meglox and varish was originally named arfrus yeah arfrus that's where you have to say um, a couple of things. So, in the original outline, the adventure involved the TARDIS landing on the planet Alzarius, where the monstrous marshmen rise from the swamps during the time of Mistfall. So, again, very similar to what we got. As the Doctor and Romana explore, a space freighter crash lands on Alzarius, and they must help the crew repair their ship while fending off the marshmen and the gigantic cave dwelling spiders. So, again, we're still seeing the threads mm-hmm. of it in there. Um, they're aided by the Marsh Child, um, who was rejected from the rest of their kind due to their pacifist nature. This obviously didn't make it in. Um, and in the end, the Marsh Child sacrifices themselves to keep the Doctor and Mana safe until the mist vanishes and the Marshmen retreat to the swamp. So the ending is obviously completely different. Hmm. You can see the sort of the main bits. One thing that's just kind of come into my head now because we're talking about giants and marshes and Tom Baker. Uh, one thing that came into my head was Tom Baker played Pudlum in the BBC mm. TV version of The Silver Chair. And I, mm. one of my vivid memories of, of as a kid is when this cliffhanger ending for one episode is a giant throwing a stone that Jill and Eustace think uh, has crushed Pudlum. Oh. Yeah. But he's fine. <laughs> Adric's ability to heal himself really quickly. Mm. <laughs> um, that only came about during rehearsals because it was while they were rehearsing it that the Alzerian's ability to rapidly heal um, was introduced because previously it was meant to be that his knee was mended by a spray that the doctor provided. Mm-hmm. And they decided in rehearsal that, that no, there's have a good that he naturally heals faster. Tom apparently had a few ad libs, uh, such as making dog noises when he had K9's head in his hands, uh, <laughs> for which Andrew Smith was apparently fur- furious. And Peter Grimmett had to have a word with Tom. Jesus. The notion of the of Alzarius' coordinates being the negative of Gallifrey um, and Gallifrey and Wilds appearing on the Terra Scanner, that actually came from John Nathan Turner. And actually, for a while, the planet was referred to as Yerfalag, 
which is Gallifrey spelled backwards. I prefer Alzarius. Yeah. <laughs> Personally. Uh, to help Matthew Waterhouse understand the character of Adric, Andrew Smith um, developed a detailed backstory, none of which made it into the narrative. To explain Adric's distrust of the deciders, Andrew had posited that Adric had discovered that his parents' seemingly accidental death on the Starliner had actually been contrived by Drath in order to encourage more conservative attitude among the Teredonians towards the possibility of embarkation. So it was on finding out that like his parents had been killed, that's what caused him to go against the deciders. Because in the actual episode, it's just his gut yeah it's it's a strange it's a strange one there's a like i think we'll get into it when we talk about the character dynamics for the story uh richard willis um who plays varsh and june page who plays kira actually fell in love during production and later they got married and they didn't remain married but they did get married for a time oh sad but still ah Both the costume designer, Amy Roberts, and the visual effects designer, John Bruce, pitched ways of depicting the Marshman. Peter Grumwade adopted for Amy Roberts' approach, which was much more monstrous than the Smith had originally envisioned, Mm. which is just great. Yeah. The baby Pterodonian we see at one point is played by Alice Dyer, um, who also played baby Pangle in The Leisure Hive, Ah. that baby getting a lot of Doctor Who credits under their belt. Mm Mm-hmm. Darker, or Darker, I don't know, I can't remember how they mentioned it in the episode. D-A-R-C-H-I-R. Is an anagram of Richard. And Andrew Smith named that character after his friend Richard Walter, who was the editor of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society fanzine. Mm. Which is quite nice. Okay, let's talk a bit more about our cast. So, as Varsh, we have, as I said, Richard Willis. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Richard. His non-Who credits include Soldier and Me, The Feathered Serpent, Rebecca, Flesh and Blood, and The Bill. Tylos is played by Bernard Padden. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Bernard. His non-Who credits include Emmerdale, Eric the Viking, As Time mm-hmm. Goes By, As You Like It, The Wind in the Willows, and Grange Hill. Bernard currently works as a lecturer in Staffordshire University. Mm. And you made it slightly... Yeah. Kind of face, uh, what was it about? Oh no, just Eric the Viking is such a funny movie. It, it, it really <laughs> is. Kira, as I mentioned, is played by June Page. Again, only Doctor Who acting credit here for June. And her non-Who credits include Thin Air, A Place to Hide, The Bill and Crime Court. On the other side, we have The Deciders. So we have Nefred. It's played by James Bree. This is the second of three appearances for James. He was also in The War Games. And we'll see him again in The Ultimate Foe. He was also in the non-official director video spin-off Downtime. So we will discuss that eventually. Mm-hmm. So talking about him again. His non-who credits include Our Majesty's Secret Service, The Donati Conspiracy, The Sweeney, and All Creatures Great and Small. Jane passed away in 2008. Gareth is played by Alan Rowe. This is the final of four appearances for Alan. He was previously in The Moonbase, The Time Warrior, and Horror of Fangrock. His non-who credits include Morgan's Boy, Les Miserables, Heil Caesar, Forever Green, and Paradise Postponed. Alan passed away back in 2000. Dexeter, so not a decider, but the same group of people, um, is played by Tony Calvin. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Tony. His non-Who credits include Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, John Halifax Gentleman, The Voyage of Darwin, and Zed Cars. Tony passed away in 1999. 
As Logan, we have George Baker. He's the only Doctor Who acting credit for George. His non-Who credits include The Ruth Rendell Mysteries, The Prisoner, Robin of Sherwood, and I, Claudius. He was actually, for the first Bond film, Doctor No, when that was in production, Ian Fleming actually signaled or singled George out to play Bond, but George had other commitments, so he couldn't do it. He did, however, go on to play characters in a couple of Bond films, including The Spy Who Loved Me, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and You Only Live Twice. George passed away in 2011. I could easily see him playing Bond. I really could. Me too. Um, Me too. Also, he is great in I, Claudius. Like, mm. plays a complete monster, but he's a, but he's really good at it. Mm. Lastly, as Adric, we have Matthew Waterhouse. We will see Matthew again, and we'll discuss in more detail when we do. But outside of Doctor Who, he also has credits in The Killing Edge, Anorax, The Poglywood Murders, and Dark Shadows. He also has done a number of big finish stories and also spent some time on stage. This endeth the trivia. Okay, so we've talked about our story summary and we've gone through our trivia. It's now time to talk about our characters. So, as usual, we discuss the Doctor. Mm-hmm. We have companions. So, Romana, do you have notes on K9 this week? I have one note, and I think okay, it's more so- about K9 in general than it is about okay. K9 the story. So, we have Romana, K9, and our story based companion of Adric. Then we have. See, I struggled now at this point, right? On how to class pretty much everybody else. Yeah. Because my thing is, I think they're all prominent characters. I don't think there is a definitive villain in this story. I would agree with you. Yeah. Like the Martian themselves, they're not villains. No. No, no more than like now i know that we've classified like hostile flora and fauna as villains in previous stories but when we started kind of coming to the more prominent character side of things we realized that like monsters of the week aren't necessarily villains because mm. this is just an animalistic reaction more mm. than anything the one person so the people that we were going to discuss would be kira tylos varsh from from the outlers group and then we have gareth nefred and logan for those siders and, and then dexter and dexter who i to me is the closest thing to a villain in this story i think so too but i don't think i'd put him in that category outright yeah and again like that's what i was going to say to you like is he just a really shitty person that's a prominent character or is he kind of like putting that one foot into the line of villainy mm, i would go with prominent character okay. personally mm-hmm. but we can talk about it more as we're going down through them yeah well first we have the doctor and now since paddy went first with socials this week that means he gets to discuss his character notes first so paddy thoughts on the doctor in full circle if you please um so just in terms of an of an engaging doctor story much mm. better than last week because yeah. we talked about how for three for the yeah for the better part of three episodes the doctor is a non-entity in the story mm. uh whereas here now it's like he's pretty much 
episode one all the way through to episode four, he is in full force. And it's great because Tom does a really, really good job here. Like, he kind of has that bit of energy from back in, you know, seasons, um, was it 13 and 14, you know? Mm. Um, Like, the investigative aspect of the story is really good. There's there's a real sense of mystery to the story, which is cool. Mm. It's just, it's the entire way throughout it. And because we get to see the doctor sciencing it up a small bit, it kind of brought me back to the sensorites, you know? Mm. The only thing they was missing was a checklist. <laughs> um, so it was great seeing him use science to try and figure out what was going on. Mm. And like, especially because we had no big bad guy, you know, there was no villain, no evil monologues, nothing like that. Everything mm. had to be figured out through research or observation. Mm. Um, and I was, that was really, really good. And as well, like, I liked his interactions with Dexter because I think, no, it might just be more recency bias, but I think Tom has, like, does a really good job of showing the disdain for, you know, evil scientists, like your likes of um, oh, Trist from hmm. Nightmare of Eden. And Dexter here with his whole, like, his viewpoint on what his job as the scientific expert is meant to be and, like, where he thinks his power holds sway. And, like, while the other, while Bill, Patrick, and John have done a good job with it, I think Tom just sells it a bit more. Tom, Tom just sells disdain. I think it's because he portrays it differently. Yeah. Do you know, with Bill, it was a lot of... How dare granddad you, curmudgeonly bluster yeah with patrick it came across as not humorous but again it's the sad clown well, and there's also, there was also an element of like clutching the pearls you know <laughs> yeah yeah um with with john with john it's it, it's different again because it's a different type of indignation because more often John would have been, you know, sort of on the same line as a lot mm-hmm. of the people that he was interacting with, mm-hmm. and then he realized that like they've gone off some fucking side road, and he's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah, I think because Tom is so like important things have no importance, minuscule things are super important. Because that's just the way his character is. Mm-hmm. I think when he gets really harsh mm-hmm. or really quiet, yeah, you notice. It's kind of like it's, I think it's why a lot of people sort of like David Tennant. It's like yeah, half time he's like a squirrel on crack, mm-hmm. but then when he gets serious, you pay attention and you realize that it's important. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, but like seeing his interactions with the Marsh child was great. Like, mm. really, really enjoyed that. Um, and like he, like he just know he had, a, he had a good time with everyone in this story. But I think his best interactions came with with, with the Marsh child because it mm. was just it, it brought me back to elements of. Um, 
Doctor Who and the Silurians. You know, that 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 really good story. Um but there was one thing here which I wasn't a huge fan of, and it was the the seeming indifference to Varsha's death. Cause like the, the way mm. that it came across was a sort of like a how sad, but anyway. Mm. Uh I think that was for me, that was the only real flaw that the doctor had here. Mm. Um but no, other than that, I think this was just a, it was a really good story. I really liked the Doctor and the Sun. I think this was a fourth Doctor story. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. And what I love is the compassion and care that we see from him in this, because I mean, throughout the story, really, I mean, he is very kind and is trying to be understanding. Of the people on the Starliner. Like, he quickly figures out that these people have been caught in some sort of weird fucking loop. He doesn't fully understand what the loop is. Mm. But he's aware there's one there. And, you know, he doesn't, he's not trying to be cruel to them. Do you know, he's not saying like, what the fuck are you doing? This is ridiculous or whatever. He's trying to sort of ease them into it. Um... And, you know, you know, he takes Logan under his wing. Initially, he tried taking Dexter under his wing. Mm. Um, but ultimately, he takes Logan under his wing and stuff like that. But what I love about, particularly, again, the Doctor, and particularly Tom's Doctor, is there is a fucking line. Mm. And Dexter crossed it. At which point, Dexter was like persona non grata. Yeah. <laughs> as far as the Doctor was concerned. Because, like, the Doctor, the Marshall was following him around. Mm. It's following around the ship, picking things up and putting things down or whatever. But even though the Doctor doesn't know much about the Marshall, hasn't really observed the Marshmen all that much to understand how their culture works or whatever, immediately once you know they bump into the people on the Starliner and they're about to be captured, his first instinct is to protect protect and defend vouch for he's like you know he's scared you're hurting him stop like very much showing so much genuine compassion Hmm. for the marsh child and you know when dexter's doing his experiments like initially the doctor isn't really opposed to it's like okay you want to okay that's fine but like when he knows that he's starting to take skin samples he's like Literally, it, it gets, like, you could always imagine him sort of turning around going, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, this is ridiculous. Um, So I loved that. I loved seeing this doctor be compassionate for someone he can't communicate with. Mm. Do you know, the, the Marshall doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. Do you know? So it's all emotion and intuition and whatever, which I thought was great. Um. He did have a couple of funny moments hiding behind K9's face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know, he was yeah, as like a sort of mask to sort of hide himself. Yeah. It was funny. Um, he does show some genuine compassion for Romana. Like he's clearly very worried about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at one point he's like, stay. Just, yeah. Just stay here. <laughs> I'll be back. Of course, she doesn't listen. Whatever. Um, and like all that's really good. I think. The whole thing with Varsha's death 
is it is a little bit ho-hum but there's also a lot going on <laughs> yeah like <clears throat> i normally like i think that's that is a trend with tom's doctor in the way that i think sometimes what happens is writers go like oh well okay writing a story what, what's tom's doctor like oh he's a bit irreverent at times yeah mm. this is the reaction that's like no like it's you do that too much and it's like okay that's a that's a really bad aspect of the, it's not just bad writing it's a bad aspect of the doctor you know mm. because we have seen him be um emo- like we've we've seen him pay really close attention and uh i suppose you could say be reverent for side mm. characters deaths and that would go towards a good example of that is from his name escapes me now but the boatswain or the coxswain from horror fang rock mm. like when he dies the doctor gets upset at that. Mm. Oh, then again, Jackie Hill's character. Yeah. Died last yeah. week and didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as I said, like we, like, we can see it. So it's not like it's a negative character trait for him because mm. we've seen him like be, take one person's death to heart. So mm. it's like, it just seems to be bad writing, you know, more so than yeah. anything. The one thing as well that I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it. And again, I don't know how much of this was built naturally into the story. I don't know how much of it is the production team trying to fucking account for personality issues. But the Doctor and Romana don't spend a lot of time together in the story. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. together at the beginning, then they're separated for a prolonged period of time, they're together at the end again. Um, is his reaction to Romana's reaction to the fact they're going back to Gallifrey is... A little bit, I won't say it's callous, but it's a little bit cold. Like, mm. she's she's lying in her room crying because she doesn't want to go back. And he's like, well, you did really only come along for that thing. And I'm like, okay, but because the scene got interrupted, mm-hmm. we didn't get to see that go to its natural progression. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you were going to say more supportive shit to her mm-hmm. had K9 not got you caught in a rift. Yeah, like in the sense, like it's, um, you know, kind of like oh, mocking her for being the teacher's pet before f- giving her compliments about the person yeah. that she became. Yeah, I, I I, would like to believe that it was going down that route as well. Yeah. Um, because, like, We've seen Tom's doctor with companions departing. Like we saw it with Harry where he was like, oh, you know, and he's like, Sarah, do you want to come too? Mm. Obviously we had it with Sarah Jane leaving, which was again a Gallifrey mm-hmm. thing. Um, the difference being that obviously with Sarah Jane, she couldn't go to Gallifrey and there's a preceding reason for that. But here, like Roman is kind of like, but you ran from them before, like. Why is it suddenly we can't escape the Time Lords? Why is that suddenly a thing? Do you know? So I, uh, I'm i curious as to what, how the story will progress when she does eventually leave. Because obviously we know she eventually does. So I'm curious to see how that will go. Um, but it was the one thing where I was like, I could have done with that scene being a little longer because I wanted to see what they were going to do with it. Yeah, because it's actually kind of funny because I went back and I uh, I looked at our notes for the war games. Mm. Um, and it was like, 
how the doctor was like forlornly accepting his fate until he was convinced to rebel by Jamie and Zoe kind of going, come on, let's make a break for it. Mm. And I'm wondering, was it going to play out something similar here, which was like Romana trying to, Romana kind of going, oh, I don't want to, but I have to. And the doctor kind of saying, well, you know what, once upon a time I was told to make a run for it. So mm. I'm going to say the same thing to you, you know? Yeah. I like to believe that. Was but just don't run with me. My, 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 I think my thing of it was, does he just not want her with him? Um, <laughs> no, Steal your I, own titles. Go do your own shit. <laughs> no, I, I, have, I have a feeling that it was probably going to be the whole thing of, well, like, you know, let's fucking keep running. See what they know? have to say, but. Yeah. Make noise of it. So, speaking of Romana, we have our companions. So, we have Romana, we have Adric as our story-based companion, and the best boy is in it for a little bit. Um, will we do best boy first, since you said you'd thought on best boy yeah. in general? I, I just ha- I kind of have to laugh, like, um, is that, like, he was, what was it, between being drowned in Leisure Hive, beaten in Megalos and now beheaded like someone really doesn't like K9 this season a lot of people really don't like K9 yeah. um, sadly yeah I like but I just I kind of have to laugh you know and like though I like, based on your know, comments from last week this isn't a jive atom but I just kind of laugh at like the the weird kind of irony of where John Nathan Turner convinces John Leeson to come back and every week, K9 gets fucking shafted over <laughs> in each story. And I'm just like, that's kind of funny. But at least it's John that's getting it, you know? Yeah. There was one thing I really liked in this story, hmm. which is the Doctor sends K9... Okay, never mind. K9, who can't go on several missions, like, mm-hmm. on several adventures, because the ground is a bit crap. Apparently can do this one, no problem. Um, So K9 is following the Marshmen as they're going through the woods or whatever. And we have several shots of the Marshman jumping over a little stream. Yeah. And I'm glad that they didn't just have K9 following, 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 and then K9 following later on. Yeah. They have him go to the stream and kind of go, ah, fuck. I have to go this way. <laughs> he sort of turns to the left to try and find an alternative way around. Just based off of like last week and like the leisure hive, I'm like, I'm glad that they sort of lampshaded it a little bit that like yeah he doesn't go through water he tries to find an alternative way around but like when he goes into the cave and he's like I mean you no harm please don't worry and they behead him I'm like I feel like this was the original draft for the Ewoks meeting C-3PO <laughs> <laughs> but we have Romana and Adric mm. so I think I'll go with Romana first and okay. again like there's not a whole lot of agency by Romana here because no. she's either babysitting the um, like Adric and the others, uh, she's possessed, she's passed out, or she's tinkering with something. She's not doing anything to drive the plot forward herself. Mm. Uh, as Romana, you know, like she dri- is possessed Romana, where she opens up the hatchways and allows the marshman in. Yeah, okay, you could say that's plot. But that's not Romana under her own agency doing it. So like I'm getting really kind of frustrated with this because it just seems that it's so start stop with mm. and like we thought we thought before like you know start stoppy type uh development of 
characters. We we talked about it way back, you know, when with Victoria. You know, it seemed like good story, bad story, good story, bad story. And I think what's making it so much worse with Lala is because Lala came in to replace Mary Tam. And we loved Mary's take on the character because there was continual growth, you know, mm. for for the most part. Yeah, granted, like, fuck it, what is this? Um, Armageddon Factor and Power Crawl, you know, they're, they're not great. Mm. But, like, with Lala, it just seemed so long for her to pair up with the writing and the writing to reflect her. And then just the writing of the character just seems to be so hit or miss. Like, mm. When we do with the rambling in a couple of weeks, it's going to be really, really tough to actually figure out what is some of her best stories, you know? Yeah. But here, it's like there was one thing that I did like, and it was at the, and it primarily comes at the start and at the end. The start of where she doesn't want to go back to the, the cage, you know, in quotation mm. marks, of the Citadel. Because now she's been out and about in the universe and she's seen what the the forbidden fruit is like as such. And it's not just the whole carefree adventuring aspect of it. It's what she says at the end when she's like to the doctor, if we leave them here, then generations worth of evolution and talent and all this kind of stuff will be wiped out. and We can't let that happen. So like it's advocacy for her and or sorry it's her advocating for the right thing and i th- that's why it would be a crime for her to go back because she now realized that the good that she can do in the mm. universe well and yeah it's still like a small bit selfish in the whole thing like, you know, i don't want to go back because they're just going to make me do some boring fucking thing again but it's like i've seen the good that we can do together or just seen the good that we can do for the universe i still want to keep doing that so I like that aspect of Romana's character growth. Yeah. Like, for me, it's, there's a couple of things about Romana doesn't. First, we actually get to see a proper fucking bedroom. Mm-hmm. Her room is fucking huge. If you think back to the way Ian had a box in a corner, essentially. Like, smaller than a box bedroom. Barbara had to share with Susan and later mm. Vicky, which, bring in mind, Barbara was a grown woman in like her thirties, mm. and she'd share a room with a sixteen-year-old girl. <laughs> Whatever. Romana has a proper, massive fucking bedroom, which I quite like. Um, in terms of Romana as the character, though, I agree with you that she doesn't have a lot of agency in the story. A lot of stuff happens to her, um, and she doesn't do a lot herself. However, I actually quite liked her. In this one, because we get to find, we get to see a lot of who Romana is herself. Like you said, the fact that she doesn't want to go back. Do you know, she's genuinely upset. She runs to her room at the mere thought of it, mm. of going back. And yeah, that could come across as a bit childish. But like you said, it's more a case of she's seen so much now. The sort of caged closeted existence of Gallifrey feels stifling and she hasn't even gone back yet do you know and you like you said similarly at the end where she's like you know if we leave them here blah blah it's like we're getting to see more of Romana as herself and yeah you know she was babysitting Adric I liked her dynamic with Adric 
you know, they seemed to get along relatively well. Um, I quite liked the way she was with Farsh, Kira and Tylos because, yeah, she was taken aback by them. And clearly, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Adric, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, who are you people that are suddenly invading my ship? But she doesn't pull her punches with them in the sense of, like, she doesn't play the weeping damsel. Mm-hmm. But she also doesn't lose, like, go completely off the handle either. Mm-hmm. Do you know? She gets herself out of the the arm lock she was in, takes the knife, and hands it back. And is like, okay, what the hell are you people on about? Yeah, like, it's a far cry from the creature from the pit. Yeah, and it's like, you know, in fairness, she tries to get to know them, whatever. They stab her in the back multiple fucking times. They don't mm. deserve her kindness. But there's that. I think Possessed Romana was interesting. There was one scene in particular. I thought it was the end of episode two, but it wasn't. It was the halfway through episode three. When Dexter starts experimenting on the Marsh child and he like cuts into its head and it cuts to Romana, who clearly now has some sort of mental connection. Mm-hmm. And she starts screaming. That was really well done. That, that I thought was, that scene was brilliant. That I thought was it was very well done. Brilliant direction and brilliant acting. Yeah. So, as weird as it sounds, I think this is probably one of the best performances I've seen by Lala in hmm. the entire run. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think for Romana as a character, because we get to see her where she's in danger from her old life. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to see her reaction to that. Do you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, the other thing to say is like, and I kind of mentioned it with, with the doctor is that like the doctor and Mana don't spend a lot of time together. Again, I don't know if that's production just trying to keep Tom and Lala apart or whatever, but I did like the scenes they did have together. Yeah. I thought they were a combination of funny and sweet and whatever um they work quite well so well it's not a great romana story in the sense of like plot driving Mm -hmm. you know finding solutions being the being the big brain and whatever i think it's good lala performance yeah no i'd agree i'd agree on that and i think i now understand romana too like this and the horns of naiman if these two together Mm -hmm. i understand romana too way more than throughout all of the other episodes she's been in. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. And then we have our story-based companion of Adric. Mm, yes, Adric, 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 Adric. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so, typical child genius is devoid of common sense. Uh, like, he knows he's smart, which is the worst thing, because it makes any any naivety on his part come across as stupidity. And I'll like that is in a good example of that would be when he tells everyone about the TARDIS and then he's like, Oh, but it won't take all of us. Oh, and then it was um oh I can't find my way back to it. And Tylos holds up the the homing beacon. And like at first when I was reading it, I was like, Is it that you don't want them? to come to the TARDIS because it's like this is mine I'm the one that found it in a sort of like a childish 
this is my secret, you can't share it. Or, but then it's obviously the other reading is that he doesn't want to put Romana in danger by bringing them to it. Mm. And like the, he kind of reminds me of Zoe in, in, a, in a sense, because when we first meet Zoe, Zoe is, you know, also very kind of arrogant in her intelligence. But that's because Zoe, as we talked about before, is essentially raised to be a human computer, you know, mm. and doesn't really have anything else going for her. Um, whereas, like, Adric wasn't raised like that. Like, yeah, he's lauded as being a part of the elite class because he has good intelligence, but he's still allowed to be, you know, a, an, every, an average everyday kid for the most part. Um... um I would also say that he's he is brave uh to an extent but the there's one thing here that I want to ask you because mm-hmm. it's either just bad fucking bad acting or it's either bad acting plus bad directing or just again stupidity on Adric's part and it's, you know, when the spiders start are bursting from the fruit mm. and the tree rush inside the TARDIS. Mm. Adric runs in as well and then closes the outer door before going, before telling to Tylos, you can't shut the doors. Romana is still outside. Mm. So like, like, what was your read on that particular part? My read on that part was... Adric is a clever boy, yeah. right? Because, and this is something that Doctor Who sometimes doesn't do very well. You have the police box door, mm-hmm. and then you've got the main door. Yeah. Some stories treat those two things as the same thing. Mm-hmm. For example, the very first story ever. Yeah. And some stories don't. This doesn't treat them as the same thing, right? So, presumably, you can open one while the other is closed. Mm. So, you can keep the main TARDIS door open while closing the police box door. Mm -hmm. So, my read of it was, he sees them as two separate doors. Mm Mm-hmm. He ran in and closed the door so spiders wouldn't get in. But Romana can very easily open the door and let herself in. Yeah. But then his thing was, your man shut the inner door. How the fuck was Romana meant to get in if the inner door was closed? See, that thought did enter my head as well. But again, it's the inconsistency over the fact of, are they one door or are they two separate doors? Because... Yeah, because like my read is that like if you... It's a weird thing because... It's just an inconsistent writing, but like, yeah. As in my read of it was, Adric closed the outer door, but then when he saw them sealing the inner door, he's like, whoa, 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 what? Yeah. It was one thing to stop the spiders coming in while Roman is doing whatever. But don't fucking lock her out. What the fuck are you doing? Do you know? So I would say either he saw it as two separate doors or he saw the inner control closing as locking the door. Do you know? Um, so I didn't see it as him being stupid. I saw it as him being cautious. 
Yeah, so like as I said, because like this was my that statement I made about him being brave is tempered by that specific scene because mm. the inconsistencies of how the doors are written can make you view that scene in a couple of different ways, I think. Mm. Um, but to his actual bravery, no, I, I think he is quite brave with the whole, like, helping Varsh drive off the Marshman, not sh- shying away from anything, like, not shying away from any danger, I don't think. Mm. But I, I, not, I think there are just, like, one or two times there where... Because, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is Matthew's first acting job. No. No, it's not. He did stuff beforehand, mm-hmm. is it? All right. He did one thing beforehand. Okay. Second acting job. Mm. No, because like there, there, are one or, there are one or two times here where it's like, his statements come across as more arrogant than... Um, I'm trying to find the right words for this. Like the bit there with the homie beacon when Romana gives it to him. Mm. Like he says it in a way that comes across as like, you know, oh, how quaint as opposed to, oh, cool, a homie beacon, you know? Mm. Um, Yeah, so that was my kind of weird read on Adric. So Adric for me is an interesting character because, slight spoiler for future stories, Adric, we will see him again. Yeah. Right? And Adric is a very divisive character in the fandom. Incredibly divisive. Now, just for everyone's context, we're restore- recording this a week later than we normally would, right? Because I was ill last week. Mm-hmm. I did mention briefly um, to our friends, Paul and Earl, um, that they were going to have to wait an extra week to see what I thought about Adric. And I was saying that like, to me, <laughs> Adric suffers from Wesley Crusher syndrome or Wesley suffered from Adric syndrome since yeah. Adric came first, right? Yeah. Where you have a very intelligent young male character mm-hmm. right? Who knows they're intelligent is either on par with or more intelligent than most of the people they're surrounded by in the story. And when they're being their age, it comes across as whiny, petulant, or overly negative. My read of Adric, like I said... Again, there's another one where I kind of want to read the novelizations of what was going through Andrew's head. Because we never get an understanding, really, of why Adric wants to join join the outliers. Mm. Like, he's very proud of the fact that like he's like the top maths person. Yeah. Um, and they say like he belongs on the starline. That's like you know, he's like the deciders know who he is. He's known, he's respected to a certain degree, um, certainly as a prominent student, if nothing else. So why does he want to join the outliers? And it's this thing that I think is just underdeveloped in the writing, and I don't blame Adric as a character for this, I certainly don't blame Matthew for this, which is, he's seen, they ask, like, where will you be on embarkation? And he says, 
not on this planet, but not on the Starliner. Mm. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, it's just an instinct I have. And because we don't get to explore that instinct very much, like, you could read it that he's subconsciously aware of the fact that there's something quirky up at the Starliner. But he knows that for the Starliner to eventually leave, someone else has to have come. Mm-hmm. And he will leave with them. Because he can't stay here. He has to go somewhere. Or whatever. So like that isn't explored. But I think with Adric, you know, he's very intelligent and he knows it. Do you know? And something that I find very annoying, and it's an issue I have with people who hate Wesley Crusher, is that they see young people who are intelligent and know they're intelligent as being arrogant. Mm. It's not arrogance. It's confidence. And knowing and trusting in yourself. Um, The whole thing with Romana and the tracking device, I think, personally, I think he's kind of like, I'm from this fucking planet. (laughs) You think I need a tracker to get back here? (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do you know um at the same time though he did seem a little bit like oh like thanks <laughs> like it's not like oh cool but it's like thanks mm. appreciate it whatever um i think his line read of i don't know how no you can't come to the tardis i don't know where it is i read that as again part of it being that gut instinct Part of him knows they don't belong in that world Mm. because they're too violent or because they're not intelligent enough because their life is in this cycle with the deciders and the starliner and whatever. Outliers are existence is dictated by the fact that they are an outlier of this society. And you know, clearly his gut is telling him that he doesn't belong with this society and he thought that meant join the outliers and now he's kind of saying, well, actually, I've met these other people and I think it means them. Which I get can come across as very arrogant. Mm-hmm. But I just saw it as him being, like, confident and self-aware. I yeah. do think the way he said, I don't know how to get back there and I do think that was a bad line read. I think it needed to be done again. But I considered both of those to be Adric. Adric thinking that those three are more stupid yeah. than they really are. Yeah. And he was kind of just hoping to backpedal. But bearing in mind, and I guess I don't think it's expressly mentioned in the episode, Adric is 15. Well, we know that they're. The actor te- is 18. Yeah, Adric know, is fifteen. Like we know that Varsh and the others are teenagers, and we know that Adric is Varsh's younger brother. So I think yeah. it's like, yeah, fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, so he's fifteen years old. Do you imagine you at fifteen, like you're telling your mates or something like, "Oh yeah, I found this really cool, I don't know, fish pond." It's really pretty and whatever. It's like, oh, let's go have a look. And you realize, ah, shit. My friend's like throwing rocks at fish. And suddenly you're trying to backpedal on what you just said. Mm. Do you know, it's him being a teenager. It's him being a kid. Yeah. Um, I think possibly the reason why 
Because, like, like I said, I know that Adric is a divisive character. At the moment, I'm quite liking him. He seems kind of funny, a little bit irreverent, very brave, like you said, very caring. Mm. Like, he clearly cared for Romana. He was terrified when she went missing. Um, But I think it's because I, because I see so much of Wesley in Adric. See, that's the thing, is that he is, like... And I, I love know, Wesley. <laughs> I know, I'm also, like, very in the the vein of you like when it comes to like Wesley Crusher like I know we won't dwell on this too long but the whole thing of like like was Will's acting at that time you know like like there are some really bad like line reads and obviously some bad directional choices for in the especially the early season the season one of TNG but first they wrote shit scripts and no oh, the directors ab- wanted yeah. to work with him so yeah no, absolutely and I was just like I'm not putting that down because like mm-hmm. I do quite enjoy like what like um I think a great example of it is uh the naked naked time or naked, naked now. now. Naked now. No. Like that 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 is like what a drunk kid would act like, you know? Yeah. So like I've like I no, I don't fucking hold his feet to the coals, that kind of shit. Like what I think with Adric, what happened was is the very first time I ever saw Adric was his last story. Mm. And I think subsequently as well, that was my first Peter Davison story. And I remember spoilers for when Adric leaves. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, but I just remember like at the time watching it, kind of going, "He is a fucking pain in the hole." So when I went back to go through everything in chronological order or in mm. order, I think I carried that hold over from the last story throughout his entire run. But also, as I, as I've said repeatedly, that's when I started losing enjoyment for. Yeah, the, the, the run of stories. So it'll be interesting to see how I'm going to get on with him this time around. Yeah, and like you know, again, just, just to use the Wesley Crusher analogy, because again, I think he's probably the most apt character. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk a little bit about Zoe in a second. If your first episode of TNG you ever saw was Justice, I'm with Starfleet and we don't lie, right? Mm. That wasn't Will, that was the fucking script. Yeah. If that was your first insight into Wesley as a character, I could understand you writing him off completely. Mm-hmm. But when you go back and you watch Encounter at Farpoint and you see the way he is on Farpoint mm-hmm. Station, you see his awe at seeing the bridge and you see it develop. You know, so he's a kid. Yeah. Do you know? He's a kid. He was a kid that was sent to a planet that never told its fucking crew their one fucking law they had, which was mm-hmm. stupid. Mm-hmm. Fucking hate those people. But anyway, um, the other comparison for Adric is Zoe. Yeah. And I don't think we've seen enough of Adric to make a good comparison. Mm-hmm. But I think the difference between Adric and Zoe so far is Adric knows he's intelligent. And yeah. he knows that he's arguably more intelligent than Varshkir and Talos. Mm-hmm. and he rubs it in a little bit because he's like you can't even fucking steal watermelons the fucking of it mm-hmm. um, but that's him ragging back on them ragging on him mm-hmm. contrast with Zoe <laughs> versus Jamie <laughs> who just treats the poor boy like he's a fucking moron <laughs> yeah um, I think Zoe acts older than she is so you don't realize her youth as much. Mm-hmm. But she's also in this constant competition mm-hmm. with the doctor, 
mm-hmm. and this constant sort of better than you-ness with, Ad- with Jamie. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen enough of Adric yet to see if he'll go down that route, if he mm-hmm. will be competitive with Romana and the Doctor, if he will try to get one up on other characters that would meet in other stories. But for this story, I actually quite liked him. Mm. And I'm interesting. I'm interesting. I'm interested because I'm actually quite boring. Um, <sighs> you had said you were curious about what my reaction to Adric would be. What mm-hmm. did you think my reaction was going to be? Honestly, I, I, I was waiting to see when you'd pull out the Wesley comparison. Because mm. um, I'm fucking predictable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know. Uh, bees. Um... <laughs> There we go. Um, no, I was waiting. To see, but see, like, again, is usually when divisive characters are brought up or like when we encounter divisive characters, divisive characters are never divisive from the start. Mm. Or if they are, they're rarely so from the start. Adric is a character that I think is divisive because of the time that he was in and the actor behind him. Mm. Which we'll probably see as we go on. So I think I was like kind of going. I was expecting probably like you know Edric for fuck's sake once or twice, but overall like, you'd still recognize the good points that he had here, mm. which was like you know as you said the caringness, the bravery, using his intelligence at the right times, you know. Mm. Which is like, and you just said like yeah he's like how much of it is the. How much of it is the naivety of a child prodigy in an unusual situation, you know? Because, like, I've known people that are incredibly book smart, incredibly book smart, but they're fucking tick stupid, you know? (laughs) Well, it's not even that. I think, and again, this this goes back to the Wesley Crusher thing. It also goes Mm -hmm. to the Zoe thing. I think as a culture, we have this expectation that you always hear it like you know characters like wesley or hermione from harry potter or whatever mm-hmm. um that child prodigies are wise beyond their years and people think that because they're intelligent mm-hmm. that means that they're grown up mm-hmm. and people only see the intelligence so when that person acts like a child like again i'm gonna use a wesley example because i haven't seen enough of Edric to to speak to us mm-hmm. um but say in data lore when wesley's like will you listen to me yeah and they're all telling him to shut up mm-hmm. a that's a terrible reaction by the adults in his life but the fans are like oh yeah even picard thought he was annoying mm-hmm. it's like no picard and beverly both had a bad reaction to a stressful situation Wesley was a child. You can't expect a child to have a, an adult reaction to things just because they're more intelligent than half the adults in the room. Mm. That's not fair. Right? And, I mean, the other side of the coin is infantilizing someone, you know, savant-like and stuff like that. Mm. But when you have a child who's supremely intelligent, I think oftentimes, particularly in our society, like, going all the way back, we tend to see that person as we expect them to act the age their intelligence indicates mm. as opposed to the age they are. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. 
Should we move on to some potentially not as oh no you go. No, no, there's one other point is that and I think it's a very interesting uh point to make is because like we we've seen it in countless other media where the writer creates a character that is is them. It may not Mm. necessarily be the main character, but there is a character there to represent the author. I just find it interesting that this story was written by a 17-year-old, you know? And I'm just wondering, is Adric an avatar for Andrew? Probably. And I don't think there's any issue with that. Like A lot lot of people do self-inserts and stuff like that. Um, I think it's entirely possible, though, that the people who have issue with Adric would use that as a reason to undermine the character. Yeah, no. No, because like if like if it is an, if he is an avatar, it's like it just adds another layer to the how you view Adric, in mm. the sense of like, is he was he written to be this, you know, as you say, a teenage and a supremely intelligent teenager, mm. or was he written to be like this mary sue-esque fucking character and i don't think he was written to be a mary sue-esque character you know or i Gary don't think sue. so either i don't think i don't think so either and mm. i hate that phrase in there yeah I, um, I know, but it's the only one i could think of to fucking get my yeah. point across but do you know, actually we've completely forgotten another two other characters who fit the same mold mm. susan and vicky actually yeah susan with the uh i meant to say susan in relation to like the sort of like you know this psychic sensations because that was a plot point that was fucking dropped like a hot rock in... yeah but also susan is supremely intelligent she's she a time lord mm-hmm. she's supremely intelligent but nine times out of ten mm-hmm. annoying as sin yeah and with susan it got to the point where her age no longer like protected her from that yeah um no vicky's you know, actually... vicky's probably a really good representation vicky's really intelligent yeah but when she has her childlike moments they're understandable and mm-hmm. they're allowed and another thing as well with vicky was that she was traveling with two contemporary human mm. companions where she's from was it the 24th century mm or further on so like you know the whole sometimes like where she'd she would act you know the whole oh how quaint towards mm. barbara who is the, the or barbara and ian who are the fucking science and the history teachers you know academic knowledge so yeah, i think vicky's more guilty of that than adric would be definitely yeah how did you bring it up and yeah like i said we've only seen one story yeah i've only seen one story um but I think the amount of vitriol that Adric gets online is so far hmm. undeserving. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. And as I said, like it's probably levied at both character and actor, but as you pointed out, like fucking Matthew Waterhouse at this point was an eighteen year old, so fuck it. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, let's move on to a different discussion point. Yeah. So we have the other um people of this planet mm-hmm. so we have the outliers of Varsh, Kira and Tylos mm-hmm. we have Dexter the scientist and then we have the deciders of Logan, Gareth and Neffert which order would you like to attack these people in? <laughs> um, I think I think we probably do so this is the thing now where we kind of brought up the point as to everyone's 
maybe you could say alignment in the grand scheme of things. And mm-hmm. I think probably from best to worst, it would go the outlers or the outliers, uh, the deciders, and then Dexeter. Because I think Dexeter is a fucking whole other degree than the deciders. Mm. I, and I, no, no, that's not to say the deciders are necessarily good, but I, I just, my own personal thing is like that. Or don't know, depending on the discuss, depending on the discussion we may have, it might end up being the other way. Mm. But I, I, as I said, I think Dexter is the is probably the closest thing we had to a villain in this story. Okay, we can see how the conversation goes. Yeah. Let's start off with the with the actors though. Um, so Varsh, Kira, and Tylos. What were your no. thoughts? So, um, it's v- <laughs> the one thing about Doctor Who stories is that sometimes there's an awful lot left in the the eater or like or the, mm. in the mist in this regard in this particular instance where it's like is there more revealed in the novelization because what this what it, at the outset what it looks like is that they're a group of moody teens that don't like being stuck in the starliner and have decided to you know break out in their own and and, and you know because they're upsetting the status quo they're being treated as outsiders like you know they're not allowed to come to the village for any sort of food supply they have to fend for themselves you know mm. uh which is because like they're not subversive from from in any like we've never been led to believe that they are subversive like they were never i mean like, for fuck's sake there's five of them mm. like, like there was never this whole um it's not like uh the sun makers you know, mm. this anti-establishment fucking group that are having to hide under for fear of being arrested. These are like kids that are, if they come back to it inside the village, just going to get a fucking spanking. You know, they're going to get sent back onto the assembly line. Um, So that was an interesting, that's what it looked like from the start. And as it goes on, you do get to see a bit more of why like everything like this this whole thing is like, as I said, it's the area of mystery everything is stripped back the more you go on and i would think over oh, the tree of them for me tylos is the i think he was the, he's the weakest of the tree in terms of a character because he's pot-headed he's quick to, quick to act or he's he's quick to act rashly shall we say and he just he does come across like as that annoying second in command who's the best friend of the leader because he thinks because he's best friend with the leader he can throw the weight around a small bit um and but then like in a in a, in an act that it goes kind of goes against what we've seen thus far he sacrifices himself to save the the maintenance crew leader from the marshman mm-hmm. Uh, that was a nice that was a nice moment in terms of the, the character you know obviously not great for him that he died but it's it speaks to something that we hadn't seen throughout the entire story I don't think hmm. uh, Kira is an interesting one because I think she probably got caught up in the whole windswept idea of like not obeying because like, her her dad was wasn't a decider at this point he was just essentially mm. 
one of the the elders. So being the daughter of one of the elders probably comes with its own fucking baggage amongst the rest of like the the youth of the Starliner. And I think obviously some friendship or attraction with Varsh probably just kind of got her swept up in that. Because again, she doesn't seem to be subversive or anti-establishment or anything like that. And also like when Adric kind of mocks um mocks him for the lack of intelligence. Like she's the one that the doctor gets to like work on the serum, you know? I know again, like I know it could be just as easy as following instructions, but again, there is an element of you need to know what you're doing for that mm. type of stuff, I would imagine. And then Varsh is an interesting one because clearly he's the leader, he's the one that wasn't happy with what was going on. And you kind of are left to wonder is it the monotony of just pull this out, put this in, pull this out, put this in on the seemingly endless fucking cycle? Or is it the whole, like we've been here for generations and no one seems to be fucking thinking of a different way to get us off because what we're doing isn't working. Mm. And again, also supremely brave by virtue of the fact that he tries to hold them off all all off single-handedly and then sacrifices his own life to ensure that no one else gets hurt. Yeah, like for me at first I thought they were all a bit crap <laughs> yeah they, they're just so one dimensional at the start I I thought they were a bit crap I thought we didn't get a lot we didn't get for me a good explanation of why they were living outside of society Um, like you mentioned like they didn't want to live in the ship and therefore they weren't entitled to food like they chose to separate themselves from the, they don't want to be part of that system and so they chose to live outside of it. We don't really get an idea as to why they did that. Hmm. And the one thing that I, because I actually came to really like them in the second half, all three of them actually. And the thing that stuck out to me, particularly like the more I thought about it afterwards, was Going back to like why Adric didn't want to be on the Starliner anymore. And he had this gut instinct. Mm. And we think about, you know, the way life is developed on this planet. This repeating cycle over and over again. I don't think with the Outlers, I don't think it was boredom. I, no offense, I strongly disagree with you that Kira just got swept up in the whole thing. Okay. I disagree with that entirely. Okay. Um mainly because of Logan and we'll talk about him in a bit um, mm. but they're not sheep mm. even if they're not 100% right they trust their instincts that the deciders aren't either mm. and they don't know what it is but there is something fucking wrong with all of this they can't name what it is they don't, they don't have a clue. But they know that this Starliner thing is fucking dirty in some way. There's something going on. And I think the fact... Like, we'll see it more and I'll bring it up again when we talk about the deciders and stuff, right? But I think what sets them apart 
from the others in the village, what sets them apart from the likes of Gareth and Nefred, is the fact that even if they can't articulate it, they see the circle. Do you know? They're aware there is something wrong and they don't want to be part of it. Because if it was just a case of they wanted to be, you know, anti-establishment or whatever, they wouldn't have been so, fuck it, fine, we'll plug the thing out and plug it back in when they got Mm -hmm. on the ship. Yeah. Do you know? Um, You know, their thing is... They think the deciders are lying about something. Mm. Are they lying about embarkation? Are they lying about where they're going? Are they lying about how they're going to get there? Are they lying about the fact that all of us get to go? Are they lying about Mistfall? Like, Mistfall, they're convinced. It sounds so fucking bonkers. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- like In their minds, like what the deciders are saying is ridiculous. That can't possibly be what really happens. What sort of crazy fucking world is that a thing? Mm. Which is true. It was complete bollocks. <laughs> yeah. They were right. They just didn't know why they were right. And that I found really interesting. Because later on, they're like, okay, we're on the Starliner now. They don't throw a strop. They don't try and get others on their side for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. They recognize where they are in the system. They're like, fine, we'll do the thing, whatever. But they're also constantly paying attention, which is what the others don't do. The other mm-hmm. people on this planet, the other citizens, don't pay attention mm-hmm. to what's going on. Which is why Varsh and Kira and Tylos can fight back against the Marshmen. They can defend others. In Tylos's case, give his life to defend others. Mm. Others who are looking to the deciders to give them an answer. Whereas these three are like, no, there's something fucky about them and we don't know what it is. Yeah. And we don't want to be part of that. So like, that's my thing. I, like I said, I, I, I completely disagree with you on the whole Kira just got swept up in that thing. I, I disagree with that entirely. No, um, what, I, what I will say is, okay, with the Kira thing, okay, part of that statement is probably built off the fact that of what you gave in the trivia note about the two mm-hmm. of them ending mm-hmm. up together. But... Like you see, that, but again, like this is the thing is because none of them are given an individual reason as to why they left, so mm. I'm just left to make an assumption. Now, again, it's like not it's not the whole thing of like you know, I once when I say it gets swept up, I don't mean like oh Vash, you're so Vash, you're so dashing, I'll follow mm. you, whatever. But it's like, as I said, to the point of where it's not easy to be the child of an elder when you have like. But also similar feelings to like you know what Vash and the others might be saying. So then it's like, okay, fuck it, I'll go along with it. That's what I meant mm. by getting the swept up. But again, like obviously you have other points that will disagree with that as well. But that was, mm. again, but it's just because there's so there's no actual state just reason as to why they all fucking left for their own individual reasons. Yeah, but again, I think to me, I think mm. that is the reason. Do you know? We can't yeah. explain why Adric wanted to leave. Mm. But we know that they developed from the spider things into the marshmen, into who they are now. 
Mm. And it's ever perpetual cycle. Mm. And I think the reason why they left is the same reason people unplug from the Matrix. They know something is wrong. They just don't know what it is. That is actually, do you know what? That's a fucking fantastic way of looking at it. And do you know that they're saying like, you know, they, they say in the rest of it like, oh, we've come full circle. Running with the Matrix analogy, what happens, you know, if the Doctor and the Manor weren't there, mm-hmm. the Marshman would have risen up. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Marshman would have gotten in to the Starliner. Maybe they didn't get in this cycle. Maybe it's going to take till the next cycle. Whatever. We'll say mm-hmm. they get in this cycle. They trash the Starliner to bits. Who's left? Mm-hmm. This is a, They've said that this is a perpetual cycle mm-hmm. of growth and development and people replacing. But the Marshmen, while they're evolving quickly, it would take them a while to learn to read and mm-hmm. learn the language and whatever. It's the Outlers. The Outlers survive. They start rebuilding the ship. And as the Marshmen grow and develop, they bring them in. And they're the ones that are keeping it going. Again, similar to the end of Matrix Reloaded, Zion will be destroyed. Mm. And X number of women and X number of men will be selected to start it all over again. It's the cycle perpetuating itself. Mm. They're outlers because they have to be. (laughs) Someone has to be awake to it. And that someone is them. Because Mm. if everyone is inside the ship, they all fucking die. And who's there to teach the evolving Marshmen how to be them yeah no that's a really good way of looking at it. that's a uh, no it's a really good uh, comparison also Tylos, you know good job buddy you know, yeah quick to anger but you know you also back up your words with actions and like and see so. and what's what makes it even worse is that and like we can say like you know it's it is his quick to act nature that gets him killed mm-hmm. because as we see throughout the attack on the Starliner, the Marshmen are more curious about everything that they're seeing than they are initially hostile because they have plenty of people cornered in the Hall of Records, but mm. they don't hurt anyone unless they deliberately get in their way. Mm. And the guy that was looking at the, the maintenance crew leader was like curious about him. Mm. It, but it was only when Tylos got in the way that the Marshman attacked. And it's like, you did the like your your one flaw made you do the right thing, and that's unfortunately mm. what uh, got you killed. Yeah. So like, it it is that like Tylos' death is a bit tragic in that regards. Mm. Who do you want to do next? Well, we'll talk about we'll talk about them uh, a good bit. So we'll talk about the deciders. I think next, yeah. unless you had like okay, obviously the deciders aren't fucking perfect either. Who do you think, though, is the the worst? Dexeter or the Deciders? Nefred. Okay. Specifically. Specifically Nefred. Okay. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, look, why don't we talk about Dexeter next? Yeah. And then we can talk about the Deciders, because he is the one outlier from these prominent <laughs> characters. <laughs> Um, cool. So, Dexeter, Dexeter's Midnight Runners. Um, so as I said, I think he was the nearest thing to an actual proper villain that we had in the story, and it's because 
one thing that I've been finding a lot since we we started doing this, and since we started really focusing on characters, because like ever since we did the prominent character section, it's one I think that we like I paid a lot more attention to is script versus acting choice. Because there are times here where visually what we see is Dexter taking an almost perverse glee in what he is doing. Hmm. Like he was about to do a vivisection on the Marshman. And he didn't it didn't fucking bat he didn't bat an eyelid at it because it was all in the event of advancing and and see this was the thing was that his whole thing was like, oh my scientific research could add to the system files. And it, it just seemed to come across from this whole thing of like, I'm not allowed to be a decider. I want to be decider adjacent. Like, I want to be on par with them if they're not going to let me be in their fucking super secret club. And there are times there where, like, as we talked about, like where the doctor like says, why are you doing this? This is excessive. And he's like, oh, but we need to know the answers. It's my responsibility to get answers for my people. And it's like, you're, no, this is, this is too much now, you know? Yeah, like, my read of Dexter, my one line was, what a prick, right? Yeah. Um, My read of Dexter is, because we find out that they have extensive system files on everything. Mm. And he's the lead scientist, right? And as far as he knows... They do not have extensive system files on their main predator opposition on this planet. Which is the Marshman. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's okay. I don't think he wants to be a decider. I think though that there is this like when you come from like their culture is built around the system files. Mm-hmm. They're almost treated like religious text yeah no they are that it is their lore it is how their society was built and i think with dexter he was offered this opportunity to have his name in the system files Mm. his name he could be the scientist that completed the incomplete now, if you compare that to any other type of science, being the scientist to prove that there's life on Mars, mm-hmm. you will forever be remembered as the scientist who proved there was life on Mars mm-hmm. or the scientist who proved that time travel was possible or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you work on like you do crazy experiments or whatever. For those types of sciences, there are dangers and it veers into the excessive. Mm-hmm. Where Dexter doesn't have the same range to veer is that his science that he has decided to latch onto is biology. Mm-hmm. And because of the way they've been taught about the Marshmen, they're mindless, they're unintelligent, whatever, they're lesser. The idea of taking bits of its skin. The idea of 
doing like cutting into its brain while it's awake mm-hmm. because it's the best way to get the results he needs like that's inhumane on an unreal level mm-hmm. it is sad there are people who do that to animals now mm-hmm. and they get away with it because it's science or whatever but because the marshmen are anthropomorphic I suppose in a way mm-hmm. that line of how much Dexter can get away with is fucking way lower mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know now humans would have the same reaction if he did that to a dog yeah would you be as odd with him if he did those exact same experiments to the giant spider so my thing is right mm. is that if you were doing an autopsy on something mm. okay if you were do, if you were I, all i know is like i don't know like what the other term for other than vivisection is if you were going, if you were performing a vivisection on something fuck right off no mm. i don't care what animal it is i don't care i think i fucking i'm mortally afraid of snakes you know this mm. But, however, no, I would not, yeah. I, w- I would not like, so that's what, so yeah, the fact that it's anthropomorphic, like this would be the equivalent of a fucking, a, like, a, like a, a scientist, like a biologist right now going to North Sentinel Island, that island off India where like they mm. have that fucking, the, the Navy blockade, going there, abducting someone. And performing experiments on them. That's what the equivalent is. Slight difference. Yeah. Slight difference. It would be like one of those natives. Mm-hmm. Breaking onto a Navy ship. Yeah. And then the Navy doing whatever. Yeah. Dexter didn't take anyone from anywhere. No, 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 he, no, he, he didn't. <laughs> but like, yeah, no, oh, yeah, okay. The, the, the abduction part of it. Yeah, no, I agree. But it, the essence is st- the essence is still the same. It's like doing that on someone that isn't of modern society or living under yeah. the same things that we are. I'm not. I'm not trying to. Dexter's a nice guy. He's. Oh not no 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 absolutely no. But, but yeah. I think in terms of him being a villain, I wonder if we would have the same reaction if he was doing the exact same experiment on the big giant creepy disgusting spider things. I don't think we would. We can say we would because we like to think we're good people. <laughs> but I don't think we would. We would still think that he crossed a line. But I don't think we would be as up in arms about it. As we are. Also, again, I reiterate the fact that this marshman was a child. Yeah. Yeah. Which so also makes it supremely fucked up. It, you know, it really is. Um I suppose honestly, yeah. The fact like the fact that it's anthropomorphized makes it worse. Mm. Um because like when it when it comes to alien spiders, it's very difficult to gauge their level of infancy to adolescence. <laughs> but um no, but like I suppose yeah, like with the with the spiders side of things, yeah, we probably wouldn't be as we'd still be uh, we'd still be outraged, but not to the same extent mm. as we are with the uh, the fucking Marsh child. Um but no, I just think like that there's something like he's the type of guy that in the animal research section 
doesn't he's the type of guy that I think would rile them up beforehand. You know, he's the guy that mm. fucking pokes the cage. Yeah. And I those guys can, you know, get their shit knocked out of them any day of the week as far as I'm concerned. Um cool. So I think they had no the deciders for mm. a very interesting conversation. So I was kind of torn on what to say with the deciders because there's this weird so there's a weird level of inconsistency to them as a small boy, I think. Um, or not to them, more so Logan. So I, I'll start off with Logan and I'll go work my way mm. through Gareth and I'll then go up to Neiford because you singled out Neiford. Mm. Logan, the way that it starts out was that he accepts the position of decider solely for his own agenda. Like He, he says that he wants the benefit of um, the people. But I think, to use a word that we've used before, he would be the subversive element where he would try and change the status quo to allow Kira and the rest of the outlers back, you mm. know? More more so for the fact, like, I think he would, obviously his main focus is Kira, but he probably knows that Kira wouldn't come back without the others, so. But then as time goes on, he seems to kind of get more bound up in the actual role of being a decider, you know? Because like, he starts, I think, not necessarily kowtowing, but he does start kind of going more along with what Nefred dictates. But I think that is probably um, helped along by Gareth, because mm-hmm. Gareth is, he's that perpetual, like you know, he was number three, now he's number two. God help him if he ever became number one. Well, because, technically he is. Because well, he dies. Yeah. Oh, God help. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, fucking God help him because like, he was the one that kind of going, well, should we take off? And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, man. This is... Jesus Christ. You talk about, like, you know, we need a committee for the committee that oversee the committee, you know? Hmm. Um, But Nefred is... I think your thoughts on Neiford will be similar to to my thoughts. Is that clearly when Drake, when we first meet Decider Drake, there's something about the system files there that is painful for him to think about. Hmm. So when then Neiford comes along, it's like right, we know what the big secret is. The big secret is that no one knows how to fucking fly the ship no one will ever know to fly the ship so you're keeping everyone in this perpetual fucking loop of you know let's uh let's keep everyone occupied until they essentially just start fucking dying off and for each successive generation forgets mm. what's going on you know um and it's like all right one part of me wonders in a, in, a, in a society that's so beholden to following the system, if you reveal the truth behind the fucking system, is that going to do more harm than good? But then again, at the same time, I'm like wondering, you clearly have a lot of, like, if Adric is the top of his class, then he has a class. 
mm. of also other mathematical geniuses or like high level intellects. Surely could you not put them into a sort of a think tank to kind of go up, hey, here's a fun exercise. In the event that the Starliner couldn't take off, what would you suggest we do as an alternative? But I'm torn. I'm actually again. I'm torn. Behold, the thing of like, which is the, which is the greater harm to a society that's so caught up in the system to keep them in that system, or to reveal the truth behind the lie, mm. and watches their entire civilization crumbles. Mm. And like one part of you would say, "Oh no, no, tell the truth, tell the truth," but then it's like, can you imagine the fucking pandemonium and everything that would happen for a societal collapse like that? Mm. So, for me, the, the deciders are a bit of an interesting bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, we have the first first decider who dies in the swamp of sadness. Um, yeah, it was a weird one. He he just sort of like seemed to fall over, like you know, like to lose his balance, ham it up, and then you know. I was like, half expecting Adric to scream out our attacks. I was like, yeah. Ugh. Um. But then we have the three that we have for the main story. So starting off, we have Logan, who you called him an elder. We we never hear that he's a citizen. That's it. Um, no, I I think I use the term elder because the guys uh, when Nifrid and Gareth are having their like conversation, it's the fact that he's like respected amongst the yeah yeah, yeah. so. Logan is a citizen in the same way Adric is a citizen in the same way that all the other people there are citizens. However, he's clearly a very smart man. Like amongst mm. three of them, he's the most competent man in the room. But what's interesting is why they give him the position. Mm. They don't give him the position because he's smart. They don't give him the position because he's been groomed for it. They mm. don't give him the position because he worked very closely with the previous first decider. They give him the position because Nefred fears him. He's clearly intelligent. He's very well liked. People will rally behind him. And Nefred says, all the more reason to have him be a decider. Nefred didn't want Logan in a position to stand against him. Because if it came down to it, the citizens would follow Logan because he's nicer than they would the deciders. If Logan told them something was true, they would believe Logan over the deciders, and that's what Nefert was afraid of. Now, Mm. I do think Logan was also a good choice, Mm. which is why Gareth suggested him in the first place. But Nefert says it himself, he's well-liked. He's almost too well-liked. And so they bring him into the fold. I mentioned when we were talking about Kira that I'd sort of circled back around to Kira about Logan because within the deciders, within the other people, I get the sense that Logan is like one step away from Kira in terms of having his eyes open. Mm. You know, he clearly... As soon as like he 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 becomes a decider for his own fucking reasons, like you said, right? He makes up some fucking cock and bull story, but like, oh, she's lost to me now. Bullshit, bullshit. 
He wants power to bring his daughter back. <laughs> That's a given. I wouldn't say he gets caught up in the machine. I think he takes his role very seriously. Like, mm. yeah, he took it so that he could have power to help his daughter, but he is also taking on a leadership role within his community, and he takes that very seriously. Mm. Um, but we can see that throughout all of it, Logan is questioning. He's asking. He's challenging. Mm. And when Nefer dies and Gaia freezes, it's Logan that's driving the rest of the story from that pair's perspective. But he's not quite there. Because mm. at the end, when Gareth is like, maybe we need to talk about it more. Logan kind of half hesitates as mm-hmm. if to go, yeah, no, maybe you're right. So it's like Logan is like a step below that awareness of the cycle that Tylos, Kira, and Varsh are in. Yeah. Do you know? He didn't sense it when he was a young person like they were, but he senses it as an adult. And as the story goes on, he's put in that position to do something about it. Like, he's he's teaming up with the doctor, he's gung-ho, he's chatting, he's learning, he's finding everything. He's a good leader. Mm. Do you know? But he's not a good decider. Because the role of the deciders, from what I can tell, is to decide if they're going to perpetuate the lie. Yeah. And he, that decision is almost a foregone conclusion, and I'll talk about more in effort. Logan, had he read what Nefred read, you know he wouldn't have gone along with it. <laughs> Not a hope. Do you know? He would have maybe, like I said, maybe he wouldn't have full on just said like, oh, it's all a lie, blah, blah, blah. But he would have been act like you said, he's actively been like, you know, there has to be something in the system files for how we can defend ourselves. Like mm-hmm. He's there, he's keen to investigate and find out. Mm-hmm. Then we have Gareth. Gareth is as capable of making a decision as I am of speaking Chinese. <sighs> the man is the walking embodiment of kiss-ass incompetence. Like, even when Nefra dies and Logan's like, come on, he's like, what? He's like, we need to, we need to go find the doctor. Oh, but what Nefred said, oh yeah, no, he did. He did, yeah. Like, he needs other people to make decisions for him. Which, given mm. that his role is to make decisions, is shit. Like, decider my ass. This guy is like follower by definition. Do you know? Like, if it was up to Gareth, if, say if Gareth was left on his own, right? The doctor showed him everything. It's him on his own in that room. He would die, an old man pacing back and forth, being like, "But if we did go, then this would happen." But if, if we don't go, then he just needs someone to make decisions for him. And sadly, I think he's indicative of what most of these citizens are like. Mm. They've gotten into that cycle where they need someone else to make a decision for them. The likes of Logan, Dexter to some extent, and the Outlers are the contrast to that. Where they can make some of their own decisions. Do you know? And then we have Nefred. 
sorry, before you, before you go on to Nefred, there's two things that have been rolling around in my head and they begin progressively funnier because of everything <laughs> you said. So just when you were on about like the, the, the fucking, the swamp of sadness, hmm. uh, I worked with a guy whose name was Atreyu and I asked him, how often do people shout out Artax to you? And he goes, I fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, the other thing was like uh, you said that he's as capable of making the decision as you are at speaking Chinese. Um, do you remember? Uh, oh, was it Mick Mulcahy's wind ups? You know, the 96th mm. of uh, one time he got Brendan O'Carroll, you know, Mrs. Brown mm. on it, and he was playing to be like the artistic director for the Everyman theater. And he goes, like, We don't want your play here. And Brendan O'Carroll goes, Look, it's clear from this conversation that you know about as much, you know, as much about artistic direction as my dick knows about snipe shooting, and that's <laughs> fuck all. <laughs> and I was just building in my head because of what you said about that. Okay. Okay, I'll finish up with Nefred and then we can move on because I think I've gone. Yeah. But these people have been living in my brain for the last mm. week, and I'm just like, oh. I think I have more hatred for Nefred than anybody else. Interesting. Gareth is a victim of the machine, mm-hmm. right? He is someone who bought into a hook, line, and sinker, and he is dependent on other people to make his choices. Dexter, I think, is the same because. We sort of get this feeling from the first decider that, like, everything Dexter figured out, the first decider already fucking knew. Mm-hmm. Because it is there in the system files. It's just not available to Dexter. So Dexter thinks it's not there. And so he's like, I have this opportunity to do blah, 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 blah. And he's grown up being told that the Marshmen are less than and blah, blah, blah. Again, it's not an excuse, but it's. A contributing factor to the way he is. Nefred, though, I take an issue with. Because initially I thought I'd like him. He takes on the mental of first decider with a heavy heart. Mm-hmm. Do you know? But from the moment he read the first system file at that high clearance level, he started making decisions for his own benefit. Let's bring in Logan because they all like him and they don't like us and he's intelligent and we need him because otherwise he could stand against us. Let's bring him in. He reads all of the information and again, you know, all of the first deciders before him have done the same thing. He chooses to perpetuate the lie. And he chooses to perpetuate the lie at the one point in time where he had the greatest opportunity to change the story. Because he took over as first decider during a time of crisis, during the beginning of Mistfall. This is it. This is his opportunity Mm. to say Mistfall has begun, the Marshmen are rising. Let me tell you what's in the system files. And we will figure out what to do next. You have people like Logan willing to spitball and whatever. And he chooses not to do that. Why? Well, like you said, societal collapse. They don't have a society. Mm-hmm. They have a, hamsters on a wheel. Mm-hmm. But while those hamsters are running on the wheel, Nefford is safe. 
his position is safe. Everything he does, he does for himself. He only decides that they should do something different when he's dying. Up until that point, up until the Marshman broke into the fucking room, Mm. he was, no, we're going to perpetuate the lie. The Marshman will eventually go away. They'll, or else they'll adapt because that's what's happened before. And like, he will continue to perpetuate the lie. Irregardless of everything else. And for me, that that's unforgivable. <laughs> Do you know? And you could say, like, oh, well, all the first deciders and all the deciders who've gone through Miss Fall have done that before him. Except he's doing it while the doctor is there. They have access to someone who is not from this planet who can help them. Mm. And instead, Nefford's like, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to perpetuate this constant lie. And I'm convinced that he's doing it for the same reason every other first decided it. It'll be the next person's problem. The person who takes after me, mm-hmm. they'll do the change. Do you know? Because again, the previous first decider in the Swamp of Sadness, tell Netfred or tell Dexter, whoever, we've come full circle. Mm-hmm. He was trying to make people aware of the circle to therefore break it, but only when he was dying. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, that's a good point. Only and when I, he was dying. Did I he wonder, do that? I wonder if is it this, in the nature of the cycle, is it this thing of where, because it goes first decider, second decider, third decider. And is it a case of every time the second decider moves up to the position of first decider, they look for the potential threat to loop him into the system. So by the time he does become first decider, he is forced to then carry on the lie maybe maybe and the thing is because we know that um the previous first side i've got his name Drait. Drait knew who adric was mm-hmm. do you know clearly saw adric as a promising student possibly grooming adric to take over do you know mm. um you know adric growing up to be the next logan and therefore growing up to be the next decider in the chain or whatever. But again, like the reason why I hate Nefford more than Dexter is Dexter's working within the confines of his society and his reality. Mm. Unlimited knowledge. Nefford has all knowledge, chooses to withhold it, chooses to use it to lie to everybody. And similar to his predecessor, only attempts to make a change when he no can no longer benefit from things remaining the same. Mm. And essentially foists that decision to the next person in line which was going to be Gareth which meant the doom of everybody <laughs> I'm just getting I'm getting, uh, sorry I'm just getting flashbacks now to the Dark Tower series um, uh, but yeah no like fo- foisting it off in the hopes that like independent hopes like that by the time the next loop comes around, they might have found a working decision, but it won't be my problem type shit. Yeah. I I can't <laughs> I cannot make this decision mm-hmm. because I cannot live with the people turning against me. Mm-hmm. I cannot live with people looking to me and me not having an answer. I don't want to be the one who broke society. I don't want to be the one. I I I I next person's problem. Mm-hmm. 
I'll give them hints towards the end. Like full circle. And just leave it at that. So we've reached the end of a very interesting discussion. Uh, and as always, we will now give it a score out of five. So as I did the socials, uh, I shall be going first. Mm-hmm. And this was a very, very good story. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed this. I wasn't bored at any stage of it whatsoever. Because, as I said, the whole thing, start to finish, has this air of of mystery to it. You also add in the aspect of that there's a, a horrific secret to the mystery that works wonderful as well. But I think what also adds to it, and I didn't realize it until we actually had this discussion, is how dark the story is. Mm. Because I put the dark elements to Nefred, not Nefred, sorry, mm. Dexeter. Mm. But it's the morality play of the, the, the decisions of the deciders that adds a whole other level to it um so yeah no interesting story fantastic design work like i mm. thought the the marshman costumes were excellent the like the set the sets for the starliner were really good mm. um in terms of our actors fantastic performance by tom Re- mm-hmm. one of his best and more recent stories um i agree that it was a it was a really good lala performance while not mm-hmm. necessarily a great showcase for romana great lala performance um adric was interesting to discuss i i'm not i don't hate him nor do i fucking love mm-hmm. him but i'd be interested to see where he, where he now goes spoilers <laughs> um but and then with our prominent characters, it was interesting to see as the story progressed, everything be stripped back to see more of these, of these characters that are, especially with the outlers, were given were given very little in terms of like motivation or backstory or anything like that. So it's interesting to see their characters grow as the story goes on. So all I think the only real nitpicks I had were just like as i said tom's reaction to the um, to varsha's death because it did as you said ho hum was you know it's like mm. oh you know how very sad um and i think then just some of the line reads slash writing writing decisions that kind of like i did have to stop and it took me out of the story because like the said the doors being a prime example because of the inconsistency of how the doors are treated. Like I, like I actually stopped and I was like, I went back a few times and I was like, is that just like a bad camera cut? Is it like, is it just like lack of like intelligence on Adric's part or is it, you know, he, okay, close one set of doors, the sub spiders getting in, but Romana can open them. Like you said, mm. uh, but like, I actually did have to stop and kind of have to process that scene and like it kind of erupts, interrupts the flow a small bit. But they're all very minor things, I think. Mm. Uh, so I would actually rate this story as a 4.5 out of 5. Mm. Very good. 
Cool. So for me, I also really enjoy the story. Um, it's the first one in a while where I've just sort of been like, this is good. So I was sat on my couch, had my popcorn, really engrossed in it. Um, I was never bored. I was never, what the fuck is that? There was no, like, I read messages from me to Patty being like, what the hell am I watching? Um, which is good. I think, I agree with you, the design was great on everything. Mm. I think the story concept was very good. I think the performances from everyone were very good. Varsh, Kira and Tylos were a little bit, yeah, in terms mm. of, like, the first two episodes and their acting and stuff but once they actually got stuff to do mm-hmm. other than just be there they were very good um the morality story i found very interesting possessed romana i found quite interesting um decapitated k9 i found less interesting mm-hmm. for me i think the the negatives are like I said, there's a lack of motivation that's explored. And I can headcanon it whatever way I want. And I like I enjoyed headcanon it over the last week or so. Like thinking through it and trying to be like, is it like the Matrix where some people are subconsciously aware of what's happening or whatever. I like my headcanon. Feel free to adopt it if you so wish. Mm-hmm. But that was me trying to fill in a gap. Yeah. Do you know? Um, a gap that I think could have been explored, even just a line or two to explain when did Varsh, Kira, and Tylos leave? Why did they leave? What was it like when they left? Etc. Because in the first episode, they do kind of come across a little bit like. Do you know what it reminded me of actually? Was The Lord of the Flies. Mm, yeah this band of kids playing at being grown up thinking they're doing all these big decision making things whatever only to then run to the water at the end and you find the army coming to get them being like what the fuck were you doing do you know or actually probably more like the Simpsons version of Lord of the Flies would be more accurate <laughs> well let's say Mo. <laughs> yeah so that I think could have been better. They were much better in the second half. Way, way better in the second half. Great quickly, I both love and hate Lord of the Flies. I do. It's a great story, but Jesus Christ, I hate how it ends. Yeah. Um. So, like, at one point, I thought that's what we were getting. I thought we were getting Lord of the Flies. Mm-hmm. Um. But everything else, I thought was great. So, I didn't quite give it as high as you, mm-hmm. just because. There's a couple of things that personally just aren't my type of story, like the spiders and the whatever. Yeah, yeah. Nah, nah, not my thing. Um, but I did give it a four. I mm. thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was probably one of the strongest stories we've talked about in a while. Mm. Um, and actually just looking at our score, the last four I gave was The Horns of Nyman. And I'm like, yeah, that is another one that I thoroughly enjoyed watching for different reasons. Um, but again, popcorn, nice drink, watching away, mm. loving life, brilliant. I'm looking forward to seeing 
what happens with Adric, because spoiler, we know that he stays around for a while, um, mm-hmm. even though we don't know how. Well, you know how. I don't know how. Um, so looking forward to seeing more mm-hmm. of that character. And you know, we're now three stories into this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where's it going to go from here? How is Tom's final season going to land? I think it's going to be very, very interesting. There's seven stories this season, I believe. Yeah, there is. Yeah, so we're a little under halfway through. Um, so I'm really curious. Like I said, the East Space trilogy, I've heard good things about. Do you know? Um, it did get its own box set. Yeah. And from my memory, I think the East Space trilogy is it's so tonally different to everything to what we've seen thus far in the season and for what we've seen for a while. Mm. Yeah. So looking forward to it next week, though, we have the second story in the East Bay story, which is going to be state of decay. Mm-hmm. So tune in next week where we will be talking more about the doctor companions and villains. And as always, if you agreed with us, if you disagreed with us, if you had any other thoughts on Full Circle, forgot the name for a second, um, you can reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email, Carrier Pigeon. <laughs> Love to hear your thoughts. And yeah, talk to you next time. Bye.